God speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning your brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus was, were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Acacius, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prism, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Me. Hey, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Uh, if I have not met you, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here, and but one of many leaders and one of two pastors. Uh, so we are an elder-led church. We have two elders here in Shawnee, and I would love to meet you in person. Um, if you're new here today, I'll be down front and would love to shake your hand and tell you thank you so much for being here. All right, I don't think you heard it because there was not widespread revival or confetti thrown when Zach said that we are getting a whole new AC system. Not an old one. We didn't go down to the thrift store. We, we got a whole brand new one coming. It's working. There's about one quarter of it installed right now. So my deal is like, let the earth rejoice. Let the nations be glad. Somebody say, thank you, man. We need, you know, September. So anyway, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in the sermon, but uh, we are one church, and we are a church. We are Frontline Shawnee, we, but we're connected to Frontline as a whole, and there's actually five Frontline congregations. There's a reason we don't call them satellite campuses. We call them churches because we are locally ran. We have a local body. We preach our own sermons. We, uh, we, we serve the poor and needy in each of our contexts, but we're connected um, as one church. And what that means for us is that when one church has needs, uh, all the churches chip in to meet those needs. So I just want to tell you that because we're actually going to talk about that here in a little bit. It's actually really important for us to be connected as a church. And so, man, we should be grateful 
um, that all the frontline functions all together when one of our churches <laughs> goes out, the AC. So thank you for that, all the other congregations, and thank you guys for being so faithful in your giving. Um, okay, we are, if you're new to the church, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's been over a year that we've been in this book. I want to give you a quick recap because I feel like there's probably a lot of guests or a lot of people that are just kind of been in and out throughout the summer. So here's what's happening. Paul has planted a church. Well, God has planted a church through Paul in a town called Corinth. It was um, kind of a major trade city. Greece and Rome got together and decided to revitalize this town. A lot of you see a lot of that happening now. Uh, town revitalization is kind of a hot thing right now in the world. So it's like major urban renewal in Corinth, but it was a major trade port. So it grew incredibly fast. And what you have is you have, um, you have the Greeks and you have the Romans and you also have religious Jews. So this is within the first century. There's like Jesus has just been raised from the dead. There's a lot of sort of chaotic thought. There's a lot of random thought about who Jesus even was. And in this town, you have a mix of all kinds of, can you imagine taking the Greeks and their worship of philosophy and intelligence and ideologies and coupling them to build a town with the Romans who worshiped government and leadership and war alongside of Jews who obviously worshiped Yahweh but didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. God says through Paul, let's plant a church right there because all of these people need the gospel. And so one of the things we're going to talk about today, they got surprised when there, was, when there were adversaries. But for us, it's like you shouldn't be surprised. The Bible actually says um, don't count it as a surprise when trials, when various things comes upon you. And then it goes on to say as if something strange were happening to you. Don't act surprised when you encounter various trials or when you encounter adversaries, and then act as if something strange, like we did not see this coming, Corinth. You didn't see it coming, that you were gonna say that there's one God? In two cultures that had a myriad of other gods to worship, you didn't see that coming? And what happened was the adversaries started to disciple the church, and instead of the church discipling them, which is the whole point anyway, because in 2023, I don't think I have to convince you that our culture, the waves of culture, are constantly adversarial to the gospel. But actually, the gospel is the most important thing that anybody could ever hear. So as a Christian, you have been uniquely placed in this place for these days to preach and show and disciple the gospel to the world around you. That was what was charged with Corinth. And we are now, we've gone through so many things, 16 chapters. We've spent, I don't know how many, it's been over a year's worth of weeks in 1 Corinthians. Paul has so much to say to them because they got so much wrong. And it would have been so easy for them to get wrong. They were worshiping other idols. They were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. He started with this, this phrase. He says to them, the grace of God be with you. And then he spends 15 or so chapters telling them how they need to shape up their lives, how they need to re-worship God again. And now he's ending with the grace of God be with you. Here's what's interesting. If you're a Christian in the room and you struggle to think that you are at times, if Paul, 
if the Holy Spirit through Paul can tell the Corinthians that you are a Christian, the grace of God be with you, given all of the crazy stuff that they did, I promise you, you can rest assured today. God has saved you. He will preserve you just like he did the Corinthians. We've walked through so many things. We've, we've seen them literally worship false idols. We've seen them be okay with, just kind of gloss over a man in the church that was sleeping with his ste- a covenant member who was having an affair on his wife with his own stepmom. That really happened. We've seen them go into temples and eat meat offered to idols, which basically meant participating in a worship service. We've seen them compete with each other. We've seen them look and say, I'm better than you because I have more spiritual gifts than you. And all of this, Paul has corrected. He spent an entire chapter in chapter 15, the chapter that we just went through, several sermons talking about how important the resurrection Uh, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is because they even questioned that. I mean, they thought Paul was foolish and Paul says, well, here's the deal. The word of the cross is actually foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, it's gotta be something other than foolish. It's gotta be the power of God to save. That's what the Christian believes. At the end now is what some consider to be a throwaway, like Paul He would sort of end his letters at times with salutations and greetings and maybe even ask for money and all of these random names that we struggle to pronounce. But I don't think it's a throwaway at all. I think this is one of the most important chapters that we're going to teach on and hear about in all of 1 Corinthians. So I'm asking you, please pay attention because I'm going to go through this. we got a lot of material to cover here. I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. And I want you to get ready as we go through this. I want you to get ready to know, like, this is our last sermon in 1 Corinthians. In the fall, we'll talk about this in the end of the service. We're actually going to be gearing up for Genesis. We're going to preach through the first 11 chapters in Genesis, which is going to be awesome, I think. Uh, It's also going to be hard. I tend to think hard things are awesome. And so it's going to be really interesting for us to to preach through. And the reason I'm I'm bringing that to you, one, is for you to start praying and getting ready. But also, uh, what we're going to learn about in 1 Corinthians is the way that God made man Um, in their identity to worship him in every way. And that's what's important today. We're gonna talk about the worship of God in our practical lives. We're gonna talk about how to worship God with our money, how to worship God with our planning, with our calendar, and how to worship God in our relationships. All right, let's jump in. The first thing is this. This is a hard concept for the consumer American to swallow. It is an act of worship to worship God with our money. It's an act of worship, and it's one of the ways that we keep from worshiping him most. Paul says this at the end of this letter to the Corinthians. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, which is where we get Galatians from, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside And store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Andrew Wilson wrote a really great and practical commentary on 1 Corinthians. I'm grateful for the way that he sums up um, the principles of giving in four different ways. Note takers, you're going to love today. I've got a lot of notes for you to take. There'll be a lot on the screen. So I want to start with the first principle, this. 
Giving is a top priority. It's a top priority. It was essential for Christianity um, in all of the churches in the New Testament. You would not be able to say in those churches, I follow Jesus, but not with my paycheck. That would be oxymoronic. It wouldn't make sense at all. It would be antithetical to the phrase, I follow Jesus. How can you possibly say that I follow Jesus except for these areas of my life and also maybe the most important area of your life, the one that tends to have a death grip on us the most? Our money. Our money. We live in a world where we're obsessed with how much we get and what we do with it. It's the leading cause of divorce in America is finances. How? How? I think we're under the impression as consumers that we've done everything that we know how to do and the way that we have money is because I worked for it. And the reason I have more than the next guy is because I worked for it. And he didn't. But the problem is this. I don't think anybody in this room would argue with whether or not God enacted salvation on you. I don't think anybody would argue maybe, even if you feel weird about that, whether or not you just had a better choosing mechanisms than the person next to you to choose God. I'm not sure that we would argue with that. It's like, man, God is the one that has shown himself to me. I would never have known God if it weren't for him. How do we not feel this way about our money? What you have has been given to you. Every good thing comes from the Father of lights. You have what God gives. It is silly to think that we should not prioritize our worship and our giving. We have to make it a priority. Paul says on the first day of the week, there's a biblical concept called first fruits. We talked about this a little bit last in our last chapter. That means for agriculturally speaking in the Bible would be that first crop that propped up out of the ground. So a lot of people were farmers back then. There's farmers in here today, I'm sure. There's farmers around here. I worked on a farm growing up. Um, the concept of first fruits meant this. If one of those plants comes up out of the ground, those first plants, that lets you know that the soil is healthy. I put enough water and fertilizer on it and there's gonna be more plants that come up, which also means that our family is gonna make money, we're gonna be able to eat. First fruits, that first thing that comes out of the ground. We talked about this in chapter 15. He actually says, 15 verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and here's what he calls him, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. Meaning this, if I were to preach the gospel to you right now, about the reality that because Christ was raised from the dead, that is proof that his sacrifice worked. That's proof. And it's also proof that his sacrifice worked for you. Meaning this, you will not surely die. You will not. It reverses the curse of Genesis three. You will not surely die now because of the sacrifice of Christ. If you have trusted Jesus, whether you feel like you're good at it or not, you will die one day bodily, but then you will be resurrected in a new body, glorified forever. The way that we know that is because Christ was raised. And the way the Bible describes him as the first fruit. Somebody say amen to that. Who has a problem worshiping? What Christian in the room has a problem 
worshiping Jesus in light of that fact seems easier when we think about Christ being the first fruit of resurrection. And it should be. We should worship. But when we use the first fruit concept to dictate how we give, all of a sudden, that's just not quite as easy to worship. It comes harder. I think Paul parallels this on, pers- on purpose because Paul never rambles on. This matters that he talked about Christ the first fruits in chapter 15, and right now he says, Now you bring your first fruit. Wilson, Andrew Wilson, uh, talks about giving as a priority in this way it's not an afterthought or a tip whereby you give whatever loose change you have lying around in your pockets or whatever cash you still have at the end of the month. God comes first. We should give what is right, not what is left. For many of us, that will mean giving by standing order at the start of the month rather than attempting the leftovers of our piggy bank into the offering bucket at the end of it. Giving is a priority for the Christian, our first fruit. Second this, giving is not just for the Christian that has a lot of money. Giving is for every Christian. Verse two, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. That means each of you. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Not just for the wealthy or stable ones. Giving isn't something we start doing once we have a better grip on our anxiety about money. It's actually something we do to hand over our anxiety about money to the one who owns everything. God owns everything. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's not like a literal a thousand hills. That means he owns everything. He owns everything. We feel anxious today about our money. I know there's a lot of us in this room that do. I'm telling you the way that we combat that is through worship. To worship God with our giving, to say, God, what I have is yours anyway, and actually you're the only trustworthy one in the room. I don't know how many people I would trust to give 10% of my, or whatever, 20% or whatever it is of my income to. But guess what? God's smarter than us, better than us, more gracious than us, more loving than us, and he's actually got a plan for the whole world. It matters that we give. Look, you can, you can for, if you couldn't tell by looking around, you could for sure tell by how we rejoiced at just getting a new AC unit in this church. We are not a wealthy church. We struggle. We struggle here. We're in Pot County. Um, God has called us to do ministry here. We knew it was gonna be hard when he called us here. We know we can, he continues to prove that it is. We're not a wealthy church. We're blue collar. Man, we, we, um, there are some not blue collar, but by and large, we are a blue collar church. We got college students. I always tell college students, man, you feel free to put Taco Bell sauce packets in the offering if you want to, or ramen noodles, however you want to do it. If that'd be a sacrifice for you, just go on ahead. You can do it. Put the fire sauce, though. Don't put the, you know what I mean? Put the, don't do the mild one. We struggle. We, we just are not um, a wealthy church. But my heart for us is this, is that we learn, no matter how much money you have, we learn to be sacrificial with our money. And we learn to be sacrificial with our giving, and we learn to give and trust the church. The church, this is God's design. He's, Jesus is the head of the body. It's not just like, well, I give, and I give to people 
random people and I count that as part of my tithe. No, no, no. The Bible actually commands us to give to the church, to trust the church, to trust our leaders as well. It's how we push back the darkness of consumerism in our church. It's how we push back anxiety. Number three, give proportionately. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. How? As he may prosper. As he may prosper. Some that would use, to say, use this to say, see, God wants me to save my money so that I may prosper. Well, I hate to burst your bubble. It kind of reads that way in our English language. That is not the way it was written. This has nothing to do necessarily with you prospering. As he may prosper means this. The more you prosper, the more you give. The more God gives you, the more that you give, the more that he gives should lead you to go, man, thank you, God, that you gave this to me. Let me worship you with my giving. Give according to what you have and sacrificially. Salary, bonuses, etc. If this is truly about the heart, then the heart will continue to increase, increase in worship. Some can give more. Some can give less, but all is worship if we give sacrificially. Number four, giving should be planned and practical. We're about to talk about planning a little more, but on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. This isn't Paul just kind of like brushing these people off and saying, I don't want to mess with that. Just go ahead and do it so I don't have to direct you guys. This is Paul. What I think is so interesting here. Paul had so many things that he had to correct the Corinthians on. Their theology, their doctrine, their eschatology, their you name it, their moral practice in the church, whether or not they worshiped idols. I mean, there are so many things that we all would say, well, I would never. I would absolutely never do those things. Here's what's interesting. The one thing that he assumed would happen with them would be that they give, of course, they follow Jesus. I think those roles, those things have reversed in America today. We would say, I would never to this, but when it comes to giving the way that we view our money, it's reversed. We tend to have a death grip on it. Plan your giving. We budget for every type of thing in our lives. A lot of us don't budget for giving. We will budget for vacation or whatever it is. We struggle to do that with giving. Start at 10% of your gross household income. Let it be the first thing that comes out of your paycheck. Immaturity, according to this, immature Christianity says that we worship when we feel like the urge. When it comes on us. When we say, God has done so much for me, it's obvious in the things that he's given me recently. My life feels pretty intact. It feels pretty lined up. I've got all my ducks in a row. I'm gonna worship God. Immaturity says that we worship him when we feel the urge. Maturity says that we order our lives to worship God. That means that we plan things. That means that we, in practicality, we say, God, my heart is prone to actually not worship you, so I'm gonna go to church today. <laughs> because what I really wanna do is whatever. God, my heart is prone to not worship you, and because of that, I'm gonna go to the person that I feel sideways with and I'm gonna hug them and I'm gonna talk to them and we're gonna reconcile. Because I know that my heart 
is bent towards not worshiping you. God, I am bent towards worshiping my money. So because of that, I'm going to plan to give right off the top because I want my life to be ordered to worship you. Maturity says that we order our lives to worship God. And here's what happens. Our heart changes over time. We set our lives as discipline. I'm not bent to just love to read. (laughs) Anybody that knows me say amen. So I have to discipline my life because I know the word is a lamp unto my feet. And it's a light unto my path. We order our lives to worship God. We actually do that on Sunday mornings here. There's a word for it. It's called liturgy, (laughs) which freaks some of you out. I understand for whatever reason, but that's what we do. We set liturgy. We have confession assurance. We recite things. We say things because we're trying to order our worship service to worship Jesus. And hopefully that impacts our very lives. We worship God with our money. We worship him. We set priority to worship him. We plan it. It becomes practical. It's sacrificial. We say, God, let me worship you. And the second thing, we worship God with our planning. Paul says here, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps, I intend, he says, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. A wide door of effective work has opened for me and there are many adversaries. Paul is a strategic, he's like the best planner of all time. This dude was traveling everywhere. He was actually writing to the church in Corinth while he was at Ephesus. This man knew how to plan. He didn't have any technology. There wasn't a train. He couldn't just call somebody up. He couldn't Uber. He didn't have none of that. He had to plan how his letters, the most important letters written in the history of humanity. Paul had to have a messenger. He had to plan when it was gonna arrive to them. He had to plan his trips as well. However, he would experience a lot in his life, his plans changing. Paul held the tension well. Let me plan, which is mature, but also I don't want to freak out when the plans don't go the way that I planned. Because God is sovereign. There were multiple times that Paul had great plans, man. We would have championed him, sent him on his way, and said, that's the best plan I've ever heard in my life. And God totally interrupted his plans. He was shipwrecked. The church in Philippians was actually planted because Paul's plans got disturbed. Paul spent a lot of time in jail. I don't think he planned that. Paul had his life threatened and and people tried to take his life several times. I'm pretty sure he didn't plan that either. He says this. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend, I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you. Perhaps I will stay with you. And then later, Paul, who's learned to hold his plans with open hands and trust the sovereignty of God, says something that's so key for us today. He says this, 
A wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Sometimes, because we're so addicted to comfort, sometimes I think the way that we grade whether or not a door is open is if there are no adversaries. But the deal is this. We make plans, we hand them over to God, and God opens a door, and I promise you, usually the mark of whether or not God has opened that door is that you have adversaries. The enemy hates it, he hates the church. I see that in our church. We have baptized several people this year. Um, This church is alive, man. There's a heartbeat here, there's an identity here. You you sense the presence of God. People have been healed in this church. Um, this particular year, and it's been that way for a while, but this year, man, it just feels like the Lord is visiting our church. We're growing. There's like every mark that someone would say, hey, church is doing great. But also what's going to happen, and it's already starting to happen, I promise you the enemy will attack our unity. It is a, it is a promise. It will happen. I also tell you that there are multiple other ways that the enemy will attack us in the world, in our town, whatever it is, I don't know. He usually attacks from within. Open doors usually means that there are adversaries. And some of us need to stop thinking that open doors means all of a sudden we can live a life of perpetual vacation. You're not here to be on vacation. You're here to be on mission. And that's different. Usually the most pushback comes when we are pushing back darkness the most. Paul holds his plans with open hands and we should do the same. We should make all types of plans for our lives but my goodness, I can't even tell you the amount of plans that I've made that haven't come true. Singleness versus marriage. Some who are single in this room today, I would be among you, have said like, I did not plan to be single this long. (laughs) Some of y'all think you've been single for too long and you really hadn't even been long enough. Or marriage, we plan marriage to be happily ever after, and what happens when it's not? What happens when it's hard or it doesn't work out or something is broken? Our plans, they don't come to fruition. We still trust the sovereignty of God. We plan things for our kids, for our careers. I plan to be a professional baseball player, and by this time I would have surely been inducted into the Hall of Fame, 42. My life has not gone the way that I planned. I'm a pastor today, did not plan on doing that, I promise you. Uh, I live in Shawnee, America, didn't plan on doing that. I'm single, didn't plan on doing that. What Paul is showing us here is, a, is paramount to the Christian life. To plan is to be responsible, but God is sovereign over everything. The best thing that we can do is to worship God in our trust of him and his plans even and especially when things don't go according to our plans. This happened with Moses. It happened throughout the Bible in Exodus. Moses didn't plan on being a public speaker. He sure didn't, didn't plan on delivering God's people out of captivity. In Jeremiah 29, you see the people of God who had planned on having this wonderful, they thought they were going to the promised land, and they thought it was going to be this wonderful new Eden. And here they are in the desert in Jeremiah 29, and they, there's this place that's not home for them. God tells them this. He says, Look, I know this is not what you planned, but I actually planned this. I know the plans that I have for you. And you, you, you think all of your plans are for you to have this perpetual life that's like just always good, but I plan to not harm you as well. So here's what you should do. 
Build houses in the place that I have set you in, that I have called you to. Take up roots there. Serve God in that place. Trust my plans. He's smarter than us. He's a better planner than us. James 4 finally says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Plan, but trust God with your planning. We need to worship him that way. Finally, the third thing, we need to worship God in our relationships. I'm gonna read you a couple of things that Paul says here that are so important. We're gonna talk about relationships within the church and relationships outside of the church with other churches. Paul had every reason, every logical reason. I would have a long time ago just straight up left the Corinthian church. They were wild and out. And Paul does something crazy to me. He says, I long to be with you all. Here's what he says. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. The brothers, you're my brother. You're my sister. And even though you're wild and out and acting crazy or whatever, church in Corinth, you're still my brother and my sister. We worship God in our relationships within the church. In verse 15, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Brothers, he says, relationships within the church matter, which means this, we should honor our leadership. And I know that might sound crazy coming from your leader, but this is a biblical principle to honor qualified men and women who are put over us to lead. Honor your elders, men who are put over us as qualified men to lead, not perfect men, not men who always get it right, or maybe even sometimes most of the time don't get it right, but men who want to follow Jesus and serve the church. It's not blind leading the blind. It's us submitting to God. 1 Peter 5 says that you who are younger, which is, has nothing to do with age, submit to your elders. They're the ones keeping watch over your soul. And you know why? It says this, for your adversary is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. How do we resist him according to 1 Peter 5? It's just by submission. Nobody likes it. I don't like it. But multiple times in my life I've said, look, the Bible tells me this is how I'm going to need to follow Jesus. And this is how I actually keep from being tempted into temptation and being devoured by the evil one. It's just to go, okay, let me follow my elders. Be the kind of person that shows honor to God through honoring your leaders and then honor each other. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Honor your leaders and then honor each other. Romans 12 gives us permission to compete finally in the church for those of you who are athletes. You have permission according to Romans 12 to compete and here's how you compete. It says outdo one another in showing honor honor each other. We should be a church that honors our leaders and honors the people right next to us. 
We worship God in our relationships within the church. And then we also worship God in our relationships with other churches. This whole start of this chapter with Paul saying this, now concerning the collection of the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was struggling. They had big needs, but little resources. The church in Galatia had little needs and big resources. The church in Corinth had both. They had big needs and big resources. We are like the church in Jerusalem, Frontline Shawnee is. We have big needs and at times little resources. So what Paul does is he says, I've already told the church in Galatia, I'm telling you in Corinth, of course, put money back because we are in relationship with each other. There is, you will not find in the New Testament an ideology that a church should be on an island by itself. You won't find it. Multiple churches, multiple moments where Paul is saying this church and that church, I'm sending Timothy, I'm sending leadership, I'm, you pray, you collect for them, you serve them. We do that here at Frontline. We do it within our five congregations for sure. But we also do it within other churches. It just does us no good to have the type of arrogance where we say that the entire kingdom of God will come in the entire county of Potawatomi through one church, Frontline. How arrogant would it be for us to say that? 75 plus thousand people in Pot County, most of whom, or a lot of whom, think they know God because they grew up in the Bible Belt but actually don't know Jesus at all? That's pretty hard soil. The kingdom of God is not gonna come in this town through one church. So we pray for support. I talk with other elders. We hold up, we prop up other churches. Man, there are multiple churches that they preach the gospel and they don't have to preach it in the same way or whatever, do, you know, take communion or whatever it is. But if they preach the Bible and they do it faithfully, we pray for them. It's hard work. Paul says that our relationships with other churches actually really matter. We partner with other church plants to strengthen them. We partner with local churches to do the same, to strengthen them and to build relationships. We're not here to wave the frontline flag. The biblical model of church is not on an island. It's a church that prays for, cares for, and acts on behalf of other gospel-centered churches in need. All right, finally this, the final benediction. Paul says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And my love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. I, we could spend a lot of time on these few verses, but this is a typical, this is a, a Pauline benediction, this is, which means blessing. He's saying he started this whole book with grace to you, grace and peace. And he ends the book with grace to you, grace and peace. Paul has a very specific agenda, and it's that you know the grace of God. And what happens in this little four verses is so important to the way that we view the world and the way that we function in the church. Paul gives grace and truth. He gives love 
and correctness. It's important that we have both. You know why? Because it's so hard. Most of us tend to think that our best friends are the ones that never come against us. The ones that never have anything to say about where we're going or who we're going with or how we're living our lives. And according to the Bible, you actually need friends that would give you the truth about your life and say, hey, I think you're going too far here. I think you need to keep your heart and your mind in check. Proverbs 27, six says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful friends give faithful wounds. An enemy just wants you to always like them. They will ignore every pit that you're about to fall into and call themselves your friend because they're nervous about conflict. The Bible would say that that person is your enemy. You need faithful friends and you need to be a faithful friend as well. We need both truth and love. I write this greeting with my own hand. That's how important this is. Here's the truth. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be a curse. Or another way to say it is, he is a curse. He is a curse. The curse has taken him. No love for the Lord because love for God comes from God. He is a curse. Our Lord, come. And then love, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hey, friends, um, I want to ask you a couple things today. Where in your life have you forgotten to worship God? There might be several areas that you worship God in. You may show up here. Obviously, you do today. You say, I love to sing. I love to pray. I love modern worship albums. I love whatever it is. But... There's these couple areas in my life that I don't even wanna to talk to God about because I don't wanna worship God in my life in this way. God calls us, and I think he's calling a lot of you in the room today to learn what it means to be a worshiper in every single aspect of your life. That means with your paycheck, that means with the people around you and your relationship, that means the way that you plan and view your calendar. Let's be worshipers of God. Let's fight to worship God. Let's prioritize our life around worshiping God in not just spirit, but also truth. Amen?